I want to talk to you today about how you have an unfair advantage in your life. You have an unfair advantage because you have access to a God who is powerful and mighty, and he can meet you even in the middle of a storm. I know something about storms. This last year, y'all, Lori and I were in Hurricane Ian. Anybody remember Hurricane Ian on the news, all the things? Well, you would remember it if you were there. I'm going to tell you that. Because like Hurricane Ian was the hurricane that came through Florida this last fall. And we were in Orlando, Florida. Lori was supposed to speak at a conference. And um, we were there. And we kept thinking they would cancel the conference because hello, there's a hurricane coming. And, you know, it kept getting closer. And You know, Floridians are pretty bold. They're like, oh, no, no, don't cancel anything yet, man. It could like veer right, it could veer left. But it kept getting closer and closer. And they're like, no, it's, it's going to be a direct hit. It's going to come up that western coast of, uh, of Florida and it's going to come across the state. And in Orlando, uh, Lori's supposed to speak on a Tuesday night. So we're at this hotel where she's speaking on Tuesday night. And Tuesday afternoon, I'm standing outside, and to my amazement, they start sandbagging the doors of the hotel. I'm like, bro, get me out of here. Why are we here? But they're not canceling it. And so, you know, we're going to meet on Tuesday night. And then by Wednesday morning, you had to be wherever you were going to be because then that, that, the next morning, there was an sh- emergency shelter in place order. All the airports were shut down. No more flights were leaving. You had to drive out. And so we were asking everybody at the conference, like, how are you going to get out of the hurricane? You know, the coming. It was like this constant sense of impending doom was on its way, you know. How are you going to get out of this thing? And everybody's like, we're going north. Everybody's going north. We're going to drive uh, up from Orlando up to Atlanta. People are like, we're going to drive all the way to Nashville. People are like, we're going to drive all this and get to these airports so that we can try to get back home ahead of the hurricane, right? That was the, the plan. I said, okay, good, north. Everybody's going north. You go north. You go north. So I called one of my best friends who's a lifelong Floridian, and I said, hey, man, what would you do right now? Like, everybody's telling me go north, and that's what I'm planning. I just want to run it by you. He goes, don't go north, bro. He goes, if I was you, I would go south into the hurricane. So, whoa, you're going to have to, you got to explain that for me, right? You got to back that up. He goes, listen, everybody's going north. There'll be no gas if you go north. You'll be in gridlock traffic. You won't, there probably won't be food. Grocery stores will be completely picked over. There'll be nothing on the shelves. He's like, if you go north, there's a likelihood you could get stranded on the side of the road with no gas and no food and just be stuck for a couple days because everybody's going north. He goes, go south, man. Because if you go south, the hurricane's supposed to come up on that one coast of Florida, and all you're going to have if you come up the the eastern coast is you're going to have the outer bands of the hurricane. That's it. And so you'll have free flow of traffic. You'll be able to get gas as you get closer down towards Miami. You'll be able to get food. There'll be hotels. Everything will be fine. And then the first airport that's going to open will be the Miami uh, airport. And And he goes, man, half the time hurricanes are right over us, and Miami airport doesn't even close. They're still taking off. It's like Oklahomans with hurricanes, man. I mean, with uh, uh, tornadoes, you know, you're like, we're unfazed. So we did. Lori finished speaking, and we got in the car, and we headed south into the hurricane. Now, it's a little unnerving when it's gridlock traffic going the other way, and you're the only car going this way. And you know the people in their cars are like, look at those fools, rookies. 
what are you doing? You know, like we're driving into the hurricane, right? We're, everybody we knew went north. We went south. You know, that's, you know, that's what friends are for. They told me to go south. I'm going south. Trust your friends. Why? So anyway, we're driving along. Well, we start hitting the outer band of the hurricane, and it's, it's like nothing I've ever experienced in my life, y'all. It's insane. Like the wind is blowing so hard, I can barely keep the car on the road. We're only going about 20 miles an hour. We're hydroplaning along. We're literally, other cars have their hazards on, all three of them. You know, we're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? We're idiots, you know? Like it's raining. Look, I'm from a place the last 20 years that rains four inches a year. It's raining four inches a second. I'm I mean, they're like the windshield wipers are maxed and I can't see anything. And I don't know about you, but but when I can't see anything on the road, if I need to focus, I always do the same thing, right? Turn the music down. <laughs> it's an old people move, but come on, you know what I'm talking about? You're like, you're like, all of a sudden you can I turn them like like what does that actually have to do with being able to see better? But you're just convinced that it's like singing. And I, Lori, turn it, turn it down. Turn it down. I can't see. Right? So she, she turns the music down. By the way, Delilah was on. Anybody remember Delilah? Like, I thought she was dead, man. But she is still going. I don't know. Down in Florida, she's on the airwaves, man. You just, this one goes out. To, I'm like, I'm dying here. Lori's singing Whitney Houston. I'm like, be quiet, woman. You know, like, I'm trying to keep us alive. Anyway. Turn the music down, and, and then it was just kind of funny because, you know, then I remember, like, at one point, I'm like, um, you know, turn the, turn the uh, interior light of the car on. And she's like, you're not supposed to do that at night when you're driving. I said, look, we're in a hurricane, man. I can't see anything. Turn the interior light of the car on, woman. She turns the interior light of the car on, and then I'm like, take my glasses off. So now I'm like driving with the music down and the interior lights on and my glasses are off, and I'm like, I think that's better. I think I can... I can see better now. I mean, just crazy, right? It was a storm. And then we get uh, uh, a warning. Our phones both buzz at the same time. This is the problem with, with Apple now. And we all have, you know, these iPhones and they all go off. Emergency weather alert, tornado warning. And that basically says, if you, it literally at one point in the, in the alert, it says, if you are in a vehicle, you need to pull off the road immediately and hide yourself from flying debris. And Lori just lost her ever-loving mind. I mean, she grabbed my arm in panic, and she's like, get off the road get off the road. And I'm like, I am not getting, I grew up in Amarillo, Texas, y'all. I'm, look, man, when it's a tornado, you walk out to your front yard. Don't act like you don't. You're like, where is it? I'm going to find it, man. I, I mean, we got time, you know, if it touches down, we'll, we'll hit a cellar. We'll go, you know, we'll go lay in the bathtub. We know what to do. Where is it? Lori though, she grabbed my arm. Get off the road. I said, where are we going to go? We're in the middle of nowhere. We can't even see. We're hydroplaning along in the middle of a, a hurricane. And she says, I'm going to find a place. So she gets her phone out. And she goes, look, I found a place right here. If you exit right here, there's a motel. I'm like, a what? A motel. I said, let me see. You know, I want to see the Yelp pictures. You know how you can go down and click. I know it's a hurricane and we might die, but I ain't going in just anywhere. You know what I'm saying? So I said, I'm going to see those Yelp. She pulls up the pictures, and I kid you not, y'all, it looks like Bates Motel. I am like, 
I am not getting off the freeway in a hurricane in nowhere, Florida, to go die at Bates Motel. This is not, I'll take my chances with the tornado. Well, bring that flying twister cow over the freeway. I'm good. Anyway, we're driving along. And when we finally get to Miami, I'm like four and a half, five hours into the stress of this crazy journey. And I am so exhausted. And we were trying to go all the way down to Miami to, to try and be close to the airport to get back home. But we called our friends who were about 45 minutes from the airport. And they're like, there are too many tornadoes. You guys just need to come to our house. They lived kind of inland, Fort Lauderdale. They said, just make a right, come to our house. And so we did. We went to their house. And I remember when we pulled up into their driveway, all that stress just went out of my body, you know. And we still had a hurricane to face. It was still coming. And man, it was going to be a crazy storm. And I knew people were going to get hurt. But we were with friends, we were at a place of refuge, we were at a place of shelter, and we knew that together we could go through the storm. And I'll tell you that whole story because, I mean, some of you are in a, in, you're in a hurricane right now. You're managing a storm right now. You're trying to drive through the crazy right now, and honestly, it's not very funny, right? You, you, you can't see, you're not sure what's coming next. You don't know how to get from here to there. You don't know how your kids are going to get from here to there. You're not sure how you're going to get through this storm or if you're going to get through this storm. But I want you to know there is a safe place in the storm. I want you to know there is a refuge in the storm. I want you to know there is a God who loves you and he is bigger than the storm and bigger than your problem and bigger than the obstacle and bigger than the drama. And you can pull in if you will to his shelter and to his refuge because he invites you to do that. He is available to you to do that. And the way we do that, the way we experience that refuge is through the power of prayer. Prayer is your unfair advantage. Turn to the person next to you and go, man, it's unfair. You got an unfair advantage. Unfair advantage. Most of the time through life, we feel like, you know, we got an unfair period, right? You know, like we got to go uphill. It's difficult. We got, you know, challenges other people doesn't have, or we come from a background other people don't have, or, you know, you're an Eagles fan and that messes you up. Like, like, you know, like there's all kinds of things that can happen, you know, on the journey, right? But listen, but listen, listen, you know, like through it all, we actually have an unfair advantage to the positive if you're a follower of Jesus because you have access to God through the power of prayer. So I want to just simply remind you today to use your unfair advantage. Use it. And we're going to look at a simple prayer today called the Lord's Prayer. It's the most famous prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus gave. He unpacked it. It actually should probably be called the Disciples' Prayer. Because if you really want the Lord's Prayer, you'd go to John chapter 17, where we have the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the New Testament. But what we get in like Luke chapter 5 and these places where he gives the Lord's Prayer, if you will, it's just more of a summary prayer. It's more of an outline. I think it's a framework for us, more than something we're just supposed to repeat by rote and kind of hang on to it. In fact, Jesus tells the Lord's Prayer in response to a question by his disciples. His disciples come to him and they're like, Lord, teach us how to pray. I mean, prayer is something we talk about, but sometimes it can be confusing. And you're like, I don't even know how to do this. What is this? What am I supposed to say? He's God. He knows everything. Like, like you could go down a, the whole road. Teach us how to pray. So Jesus responds to that question by going into the Lord's Prayer and beginning to unpack for his people how they should pray. And so let's pick it up. 
And uh, let's look at it. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. This is how he starts it. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is so good. He starts his prayer with the word Father. And it's not just any word for Father. It's actually the first word most kids would have learned in a Jewish home. It's the word Daddy or Dada. Um, in in uh, Aramaic, uh, it's the word Abba. And so Jesus says, you begin your prayer this way, our Dada, our Abba, who art in heaven. Now, Brennan Manning says Jesus is the first person in the history of religious thought to say that we could call God Dada, that this would have struck his listeners' ears as pretty out there. Now, he acknowledges he's holy, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. God is holy. He's set apart. He's other. But we have access to him as a loving heavenly father in a relationship, listen, that is so intimate that you can call God by the name that you would call your own earthly father, the very first word a kid would learn at home. What that means is you're God's kid and he loves you. And that means you don't have to worry about having the right words when you pray. You don't have to worry about some special magical formula when you pray. You don't have to worry about like, like, will God hear you when you pray? God has invited you to pray to him. God loves you like his kid. And God literally says, call me data. Come to me and call me intimately your father. So you can't go wrong when it comes to prayer. Now, prayer will position you from an unfair standpoint in a couple ways. And by the way, you're in this amazing teaching series, I Wish I Would Have. And when I think about that, look, I think a lot of us are going to get to the end of our lives and we're going to look back and we're going to say, I wish I would have prayed more and worried less. Right? We're going to look back and say, I worried way too much. I should have prayed. And by the way, those things are, are connected. If you pray more, I'd suggest you just inevitably will worry less. Right? I wish I would have prayed more and worried less. So here's what prayer positions for you in your life. Prayer positions you for provision. Positions you, first of all, for provision. Um, my daughter's in college. She's doing great. She's working a couple jobs. She's got scholarships. I'm so proud of her. But one of the things that frustrates me is when I open up her bank account and I just check on her to see if she needs money because I could transfer money in. I, I look at it and she's, she's college broke. She's got like six bucks. And it bothers me because I know she's working hard. Now, she's, my, she's responsible. Look, if your kid isn't responsible, this is a whole other equation. But when your kid's responsible, right, and you look in their account and they got sick, I'm like, man, she's probably, like, not going. She's certainly not making Taco Bell run with six bucks, you know. Like, she's, she, she's probably not getting certain gas that she needs. She's waiting until she gets paid, which I appreciate that. I respect it. But I wish she's working so hard that she would just let me know that she needs something. Because it's my honor and my joy to be able to provide for my daughter as long as I'm working and as long as I'm able to do it. It's my blessing to provide for her, right? And so I call her up and I'm like, girl, why are you not telling me that you're broke? All you got to do is tell me. And I will go in and transfer money to your account and you can take care of whatever you need to. You don't, you don't even have to have a reason for it. My, she's the most responsible. Look, I was a thug at her age. She's like so responsible. You know, I'm like, you just tell me you need it and I'll just give it to you can have it. I, and so I get upset with her 
I'm like, you're making me angry because if you have a need, you need to come to me because I want to, I want to meet that need. And then it got me thinking like, I wonder if God doesn't think even more intensely along those lines because he is our Abba, our father. He loves to provide for us as his people. And I wonder if he ever doesn't look down at us slinging around in the mud, you know, just, just trying to survive and scrape by and thinking, I'll handle it on my own. You know who you are. I'll take care of it of my own. I can earn my way out of this on my own. I can deal with this situation on my own. I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need anybody's guidance. I don't need anybody's movement in my life. I got this. And God's like, well, then why are you college broke? Why don't you ask for some help? Because you have a heavenly father that loves to help and wants to help. And I wonder if he doesn't get offended. Do you think I don't have the, the cattle on a thousand hills? Do you think I don't have the means to give you what you need and more? Do you think I can't take care of you in your life? Then prove it to me by bringing your request to me and letting me provide for you in your life. Look, Prayer positions you for provision. Now, Jesus tells us right out of the gate. He says we should pray this way. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. God provided bread is food, yes, but also shelter and love and meaning and purpose and all the things that we need in our life. He invites us daily to come to God and say, God, provide for us in our life. Let me talk to you about some myths around prayer. Well, one myth, I think, is that people think prayer is for professionals. Prayers for, you know, prayers for Pastor Herbert and the staff at People's Church. They're the pros. And so if you need something in your life, you go, I got to get to church. I got to have somebody pray for me. I'll find Pastor Herbert and I'm going to get one of those prayers. You know what I'm saying? And so we kind of lean in. And I know the staff and the volunteers here at People's Church across locations are honored to pray with you. It's their joy to pray with you. They love to pray with you. And the Bible does say that the prayer of a righteous man is effective, right, and strong. I get that. But don't miss this. You know what Pastor Herbert and, they would all, and the whole team would also tell you is that you have access to the exact same God that they do. And it is free and open access because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. So you don't have to wait for somebody else to pray for you. It's not just for the professionals. It's for all of God's kids and you're God's kids. And he loves it when you come to him. Here's another thing we think. Prayer has to be significant. Right? It's got to be really significant. You know, it's got to be a big thing to bring it to God because he's managing like tensions between China and America and the Ukraine war. And, you know, like, like, and all I got, like, I'm going to the dentist and I'm scared out of my mind, but that's a little thing. And, uh, you know, these are the things that go, but prayer doesn't have to look. God is so big that no request is too small. Look, man, if, you, if it's significant enough for you to worry about, then it's significant enough for you to pray about. And God can move in that request when you do. Here's a third thought, and that is prayer doesn't produce. <laughs> you ever prayed for something and it didn't happen? Right, you pray for a family member and their life didn't change. You prayed that God would show up and move and, and you know, he didn't show up and move. You prayed that your, your kids would get sober and they continue to kind of go down a road of non-sobriety so far in their life. I mean, I've been praying for the Dallas Cowboys for 30 years, 30 years. Like, I didn't know in college that, you know, I was going to die and never see them back in the Super Bowl. I would have watched the game more intently back then. Back then, I was like, oh, we just, that's what we do. We go to the Super Bowl about every year, every other year. It's normal. 
Sometimes God doesn't answer your prayers. I don't know why. But God never said he was like Oprah. You know, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, right? We have to believe that, look, prayer is as much about asking as it is about trusting. You got to trust that God has your best interests at heart. Sometimes God withholds certain blessings in our lives because we're not ready for the burden that comes with the blessing. You know, every blessing comes with a burden, right? Every blessing comes with a weight. And people are often like, God, you know, bring the blessing, bring the blessing. But you don't want to think about the burden that comes with the blessing, right? And sometimes God is looking at you and he's like, yeah, you want the blessing and you're praying for the blessing, but the burden would kill you. And until you're ready to carry the burden, you're not ready for the blessing. In fact, God's doing us a solid by holding back. Aren't you glad God didn't answer all your prayers? Some of you years ago were like, God, look at that. Look at that man. Mm, Look at that. Bring that into my life. And then you look at him 20 years later and you're like, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Thank you, God. That was mercy all the way, man. Thank you, Lord. Right? You just got to trust in the, in, in the moment that prayer does move the heart of God. And even if your circumstances don't change, your heart can change. Man, and that can change a lot in that situation. Prayer is your unfair advantage. So it positions you, first of all, for provision. Prayer also positions you for power in your life. I mean, when you face temptations, when you face difficulties, and we all face temptations. It could be temptations to cut corners. It could be temptations to go back to an old way of living. It could be temptations around addiction. It could be temptations around anger or, uh, you know, truth-telling in our lives or in our relationships. I mean, you know, if you're trying to lose weight and the doctor's on you, about your blood pressure and the hot now sign comes on at Krispy Kreme. You know, it's temptation, right? And you're like, it's a sign from the Holy Spirit. Nope, that's that's the devil. You need to go the other way. You know, like don't even lean in, right? But but these are just this is how temptation works in our lives. And so Jesus says, when you're tempted, when you're struggling, he says, look, you can call out to God. Look at this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. And we can pray, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He says, look, this is the model the disciples say, teach us how to pray. They're not, he's not saying, give us a prayer we can memorize. He's saying, teach us how to do it. Jesus says, remember God is your Abba. He's, your, he's holy, hallowed be, you know, his name is holy, but he's your Abba. And, you know, may your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. And then pray for, pray for, for provision. You know, pray that God will give you our daily bread. Pray ultimately for um, power. God, even in the midst of temptation, we pray that you move and you work and you empower us in our lives. And then third, pray. prayer positions us for freedom. It positions us for freedom. I mean, I remember when I was in, in high school, your pastor, Pastor Herbert, was an amazing athlete in high school. Uh, I had one play that was significant in my entire years of high school. I played the bench, you know, that's what I played. I just sat on the bench, you know, I, I, I was that guy, right? I stayed on, I was on the team, everybody, I was friends with all the dudes, and I sat on the bench. But there was one, one game against Dalhart, Texas, and um, it was fourth quarter, we were losing, they got the ball back, and, I, you know, everybody kind of thought the game was over, and a guy on the defense got hurt uh, on our, our defense, and I, I think his backup was already hurt. <laughs> so the coach yells out, Will Hype, 
And I, you know, I didn't even hear him, right, at first, because <laughs> I just don't play. That's, you know, I'm just there. I'm like a model. We'll hide. And, and I remember, like, in that moment, even though it was a long time ago, I remember I couldn't find my helmet. I'm like, where's my, where's my helmet? You know, I'm looking down. I'm like, I don't know. Why don't I do? Did I even bring my helmet? You know, like, I finally got my helmet. I got it on. You know, I run out on the field. I'm playing defense, right? I'm defense. I'm like, oh, what am I doing? You know, I'm running out there. And I kind of get down. And, and we snap the ball and go through a couple plays. But here's what I'll never forget. It looked like the game was over. And they tried to run a play. And the quarterback dropped back. And I was able to get around through the line. But my, my teammates got through a lot faster on the other side. And they sacked the quarterback. And as he's falling, he fumbles the ball. And it starts bouncing towards our end zone. We're down by like three points. I'm like, oh, 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 look at this. Yeah. And so I'm running towards the ball, right? I'm running, and then I get there, and then my teammate on my team, he passes me because I'm slow. He runs past me, and he jumps on the ball. But it, like, squirts out, you know, when he hits the ground. And so it bounces, like, another 10. So I just keep running. You know, I don't know what to do. Like, just keep running, man. And pretty soon, like, I'm ahead of the other guys. This never happens. And I'm running. And the ball literally just bounces up into my hands. I didn't even bend over for it. And I stop. And I am in the end zone. I scored a touchdown. Pastor Herbert Cooper scored 300 touchdowns in high school. But that was mine. I remember it. Because my coach, who didn't even like me, ran off the sidelines and picked me up. And I'm like, you hate me. You know, but it was a moment. It was amazing. Now, they didn't put me in again the rest of that season. But that is a picture of what I call the grace of God, right? The grace of God is the undeserved favor of God. Look, I didn't earn that touchdown. By all accounts, on my own gifting, I shouldn't have made that touchdown. <laughs> that touchdown should have passed me by and gone to somebody else. But by the grace of God, I got one. And I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And the ball bounced up into my hands. And I just stood there and got a touchdown. And when you think about what salvation is, Jesus tells us that, 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 look, he came and lived and died and rose again so that we could be forgiven and free. You didn't earn that salvation. You didn't earn that gift. You didn't earn that forgiveness. This wasn't about your skill or your training or your effort. This was just about God and his infinite grace pouring out his favor on your life that you don't deserve. You just happen to be in the right place at the right time, and all you have to do for grace is receive it. You just receive it. But then the challenge is once you've received it, to then give it to the other people around you who've hurt you. And so Jesus says when we pray, when we cry out, we pray for provision, give us our daily bread. We pray for power and temptation. But we also pray for freedom, if you will, and for forgiveness for ourselves and for others. And you see it earlier in the Lord's Prayer, and it's also a tag at the end of the Lord's Prayer, just after the Lord's Prayer, basically reads like this. He says, forgive us our debts, Matthew 6, 12, as we forgive um, our debtors. And then in verse 14, he says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive your trespasses. Listen, forgiveness is how you move towards freedom, both receiving it and giving it. 
And if you live long enough, somebody will hurt you. And I don't mean a little bit. Somebody will hurt you deeply and profoundly. And the way you get to freedom is through remembering the forgiveness God has given you and then passing that forgiveness on to them. They don't deserve it, but neither did you. They didn't earn it, but neither did you. They may abuse it, but so did you at some point. But God still poured his grace and favor out on you. So you pour it out on them. Forgiveness doesn't mean that offense didn't happen. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you act like it didn't happen. Forgiveness doesn't mean that now you're like, hey, you know, whatever you did, it's all forgotten. Like if you break into my house and you steal my TV, I forgive you, but I am not giving you the key to my front door. Right? God bless you. I release you. Forgiveness is letting go of that need for revenge in in your life. Turning that over to God and saying, the Lord deal with you. The Lord take care of it, but I'm letting that go. I'm going to walk in freedom, and I'm going to be free. Some of you, you're tired, and you're tired not just because of the pace that you're running at in your life. You're tired because of the weight that you're carrying at the pace that you're running. And the weight that you're carrying is accumulated from all the hurts that have happened in your life. People that have wronged you, lied to you, discriminated against you, taken advantage of you. And if you're not careful, you can start to collect all that in a, we'll call it like an emotional backpack. Everyone's like a rock, right? But the problem becomes when that backpack's now 300 pounds and you're like, why am I so tired? Because you need to forgive and let some of that stuff go. Not for them, God can deal with them, but for yourself so that you can run freely so that you can be who God called you to be. Let me tell you, a part of that process is surrendering your life to Jesus and receiving his grace fully. Baptism is a part of that process. Baptism reminds us of all that God has done for us. And when we get down in the water, it's like a picture. We're remembering that Christ was buried in the ground and that three days later he rose again. And we're saying we're united with him in baptism. We're buried that old life in the water. And we come out of the water and we're going to walk with him in new life and in victory. He's our hope. He's the one who will sustain us. That's the picture of baptism. And it's, it's important. One of the first things you see the disciples do do in the Bible, in the New Testament, when they become followers of Jesus, they get baptized. Right out of the gate, they get baptized. People are like, well, I don't know. I don't know that I'm ready to get baptized. Like, you, you know, I got to be, like, I had a neighbor. I remember talking to my neighbor. He's like, yeah, I'm going to get do that baptism thing. I'm going to get baptized. But he says, I got to get my life together first. I remember standing there with him and, and I knew him so I could be kind of bold with him. And I said, yeah, that'll never happen. And he just kind of looked at me like, what? I said, that'll never happen because you got it out of order. You think you got to get your life all together to get baptized, but baptism is how you come to God and acknowledge, I believe in you and I surrender to you and I need your help to get my life together. I need your power to get my life together. I need you to move in my life so I can get things together. I'm not going to try to do it all over here on my own and then show up and be like, look, God, I'm awesome. I don't even need you now. Like nobody gets cleaned up to take a bath. You just take a bath, bro, because you stank and you need it, right? And when it comes to our sin, like, 
Like you don't get it all worked out and then get baptized. You come in the struggle just as you are and, and you find that God meets you right there and shows up in your life. And across people's church locations today, you have an amazing opportunity to take that step of baptism, to acknowledge that you're receiving grace from God, his forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and to be empowered then to forgive others and set them free. A friend of mine, Pastor Chuck, California, he told me about a guy in their church from Indonesia who had become a follower of Jesus, was baptized, was growing in his faith, but his visa had ran out and he was gonna have to go back to Indonesia. And it was a challenge for him because now he was a follower of Jesus and due to some of the religious practices in his family and the history and the country, like, like for him to go back at that time could have risked his own life. So he was seeking to stay in our country under the whole auspices of religious asylum. And my friend, Pastor Chuck, had to go down to the federal building in LA and he, he went to testify on his, his name was Jimmy. He went to testify on Jimmy's behalf, right? So he goes down at the federal building and he stands before a judge and he says he's written out like multiple pages because this guy's legit. He serves every weekend. He's there like he volunteers, he prays, he, like this isn't a fake, you know, he's legitimately a follower of Jesus. He's all in. So Chuck goes down there and the judge looks at him and he goes, so I need to ask you like, is Jimmy a... Um, baptized believer in Jesus Christ. Chuck goes, yeah, it is. Yeah, he is. He goes, and let me, let me tell you about him. And the judge goes, no, I don't need to hear. He goes, well, no, I got like, I wrote like three pages. He goes, no, it doesn't matter. He goes, what do you go? He asked him again, is he a baptized believer in Jesus Christ? He goes, yes. He goes, okay, we're done. And he approved it. And so Chuck's driving home and he's like, why is that the only question the federal government asks? if they wanna determine if a person is a follower of Jesus or not. And the more research he did is, this is what he, he said he found. Certain religious extremists who want to come into our country and do harm will say that they believe in Jesus. They will say that they even follow Jesus. They'll say Jesus is a great man, a prophet, but they will not say that they are a baptized believer in Jesus Christ because baptism from another religious standpoint is seen as a commitment, a pledge of loyalty. That's too far. And they will not pledge that loyalty to Jesus. So the federal government has determined if they wanna figure out if you're actually a Christian, they only ask one question. And it's not, do you believe? Are you a baptized believer in Jesus Christ? Have you pledged your loyalty to Jesus? Have you gone in the water and united with him in his death and come out of the water to unite with him in his victory? Are you following him in faith in your life? And if you are the federal government, religious extremists, and others will acknowledge you are a follower of Jesus. So if you've never been baptized, I would suggest if other religions see baptism that highly, if the federal government sees baptism that importantly, how much more should we take it seriously when Jesus modeled it for us and it's the first thing that we see the disciples doing when they place their faith and trust in him? So today you have an opportunity to pledge your loyalty and to experience his goodness moving and working in your life. And you don't have to be perfect to be baptized. You just have to believe and just come as you are.
and let God move and work. In fact, maybe some of you are here today and maybe you're ready to cross the line of faith. Maybe you sense that God has been tapping you on the shoulder. He's been calling you to come home to him. And so I want to ask all of you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you'd like to take that step, I'd just love to lead you in a simple prayer. You can repeat this after me um, just to open your heart and pledge your loyalty to God. Just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, I want to ask you to just slip your hand high in the air. If you're watching online, whatever location you're at, just reach out to God today and slip your hand in the air. Acknowledge you're going to follow him. God, I thank you for each person just trusting you today. And I thank you for this opportunity. We give you praise. In Christ's name, amen.